And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. You listen to Kingdom Authority with your host, Dancia J. Morris, on Kingdom Empower Incorporated. We're here to educate, motivate, and elevate your mind, body, and spirit. If you have questions or comments, or just want to talk to your host, you can call in at 646-668-2413, or listen in online at lambministries.com. And now, here's your host, Dancia J. Morris. Hello, hello. Hello, 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 everybody out there. So glad that you all are here with us on tonight on Kingdom Authority broadcast. I am your host, Reverend Dancia Jones Morris. So glad that you could be with us tonight. Listen, I'm excited. Y'all, I know y'all hear me say this all the time, but I'm excited about tonight's topic. I'm excited about tonight's guest. And what a blessing it is to come together to take authority in our territory. Listen, we all have a journey. We all have things that come up. Life happens. And guess what? We can still take authority regardless of what happens in our lives. We can still have authority and take a dominion regardless of the trial. Let's not get too too thrown off. Let's make sure to utilize whatever we go through to say, okay, I still have dominion in this, in this area. I still can do all things through Christ that strengthen me. No weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. Or maybe it's just that thorn in your side to help keep you in front of um, the face of the Lord. So I'm glad you're with us on tonight. Once again, for those now, just now joining, I am your host, Reverend Dancia Jones-Morris. I want you to join me as we talk about surviving infertility and miscarriage. Oh, my. I know people have been saying, what, you going to do this? Yes, we are. Surviving infertility and miscarriage, it's all in the body of Christ. And I want to make sure, and I want to make sure that we are, um, that we are taking authority in this area. So let's just pray first of all. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We bless you and we praise you. Oh God, you are our our you are the seed. <laughs> yes, Lord. You are the creator of all things and we glorify you. We bless you. We praise you. You are our rock, you're our shield, our protector. We thank you, oh God, for being El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough. We thank you for being Elohim, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rophah, Jehovah Sikhanu. Thank you, oh God, for everything that you have done. You are Yahweh, and we bless you. And guess what? We even call you Jesus. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, God, for being who you are. You sustain us. You keep our mind 
Lord, you keep our mind when we're struggling. You keep our mind when we're on the mountaintop. You keep our mind when we're in the valley. You keep our mind when we're just coasting. And, Father, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. Thank you, O oh God, for being the revealer of all things. You reveal why we go through things. And, God, you hold the answer to even why we go to it, even when you don't reveal it. We can trust you. We can depend on you. We can go through anything, God, because of you. You said that we can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth us. We can do all things through you, and whatever, whatever we go through, you said you will be there, Father, that you are our rock and our shield and our protector and our guide, and you are the healer, Father. You are the sustainer of our very lives, and we glorify you. We honor you. We praise you because you are our God. You're the son of man, son of God, son of David. Thank you for being the son. Ah! the sun that shines on us, Father, that gives us light in darkest times, Father. You're the one. You're the reason why we move, breathe, and have our being. You're the reason why we can get on this broadcast and tell about something that so deeply has hurt us, Father. You're the reason, God, and if it helps someone, thank you, oh, Lord, for, for shining on us so that we can shine, shed that, that same sunshine the S-O-N shine on someone else's life so that they can get through their time of grieving, Lord, of grief, of sorrow, of lack, of feeling without, of hopelessness, God. We let them know that there is hope and they can survive this, God. I pray for every listener right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, O oh God, for being our rock, our shield, our protector, and our guide. As we take dominion in this area, Father, in the body of Christ, we shall say we are victors in spite of what we go through in this area. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's just continue on. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm telling you all, this is going to be a great, great evening, and I have two wonderful guests. I want to share some information before we move forward, and then we're just going to take this next hour, and I'm telling you, we're going to go a little deeper than what some other people go. So I want to talk about some things that I looked up, and I, I want you to understand that we have two very strong, <laughs> very strong women that are on, on this particular um, broadcast on tonight, but I want you to understand there are some strong men that have gone through this as well. And so we're not neglecting the men. I want you to understand that um, we're just utilizing these women today because they express an interest. They have gone through it. They have shared their story with me. And so I want to make sure that we share so that others can be delivered. So we understand that there's many ways, many different things people are going through. So I want to, I want to bring to, to light some things about infertility that some of us may not understand or know anything about, um, and, and let's talk about miscarriages in particular, first of all. So um, I, I, miscarriages, a lot of people don't realize that a miscarriage is, is something that's called early pregnancy loss. It's when a baby dies in the womb um, or the uterus before 20 weeks of pregnancy, otherwise it's considered stillborn or stillbirth, actually, stillbirth. For women, um, a lot of women that know they're pregnant, it's about 10 to 15 in 100 pregnancies, so about 10 to 15% in the miscarriage. So even at 15%, 15 out of 100, we know end in miscarriage. And these are stats that I took from March of Dimes, the CDC, um, and we'll talk about the CDC, Center for Disease, um, from the government. These are, this is information. So 
what are repeat miscarriages? If you have a repeat miscarriages, loss of pregnancy, you have two or more miscarriages in a row. That's considered a repeat miscarriage. Two or more miscarriages in a row. Some people think that it's when I've had a, I've had a pregnancy and the pregnancy terminated um, unintentionally and then I had a baby. And it's, a repeat miscarriage is in a row. I mean, you're, you're consistently having that. And so, and I confirmed this with some doctors, and we'll bring them on in another episode. About 1 in 100 women, 1% have repeat miscarriages, according to 2017 statistics. 2017. I, my understanding that that has changed in 2018, so I'll try to get that data for you. Most women who have repeat miscarriages, 50 to 75 in 100, or 75% have an unknown cause. Some people don't even know why they have it. That's my area. They, they, my, mine is considered some, somewhat genetics on my dad's side. All right, so we'll talk about that. Um, what causes miscarriages? There's different things. We're not going into that right now. We're, we're talking about some things so we understand that there, there are people that don't understand what a miscarriage is, don't, because, you know, some people just, just, just reproductive sally and they can just, they can just get them kids in and get them out, right? you know? And so they don't understand about this. So I have to give some stats first to help us understand. All right, so we're talking about infertility, which is the um, inability to reproduce. Um, that's just the, the common terminology for it. So, and many couples have this. Many people have this. There are, according to the medical news today, the, the biggest major risk factor is age age and when we start. And so since, you know, education has become this big thing, more people are starting to, more people are starting to have, um, um, have children after the age of 35, after they're settled in their careers and so forth, and they want to start later on. Now, when you're 16, 17, 18, you know, you're popping out them eggs and stuff, you know, you just, you know, y'all know how I am. You're popping up them eggs, you know, and then men, y'all know, y'all know what to deal with y'all. So, so um, age is a big factor. Listen to this. The average risk of miscarriage by the age, by the age of the mother is as follows. Under 35 years old, 15% chances of pregnancy lost, 15% chance. So even under 35, you still got a 15% chance of pregnancy loss. Between 35 to 45 years old, between 20 and 35% chance of pregnancy loss. I'm well above 45. Now, listen, over 45, my age group, about a 50% chance of pregnancy loss. We're still talking about surviving infertility and miscarriage. I want you to get this data. So 45, over 45, about a 50% chance of pregnancy loss. What that tells me, there's still a chance. That's how I'm going to look at it. We're talking about surviving, okay? It is essential to note that these are average figures and do not take any other factors into account because there's, there's other things um, uh, outside of age. Now, let's talk about men because we, we, we have it. Actually, I want to save that information until last. So there's a lot going on, um, a lot that we're going to be talking about. I want to bring on two special people um, who've experienced this before. I'll tell a little bit of my testimony, this is my testimony, glory to God, about um, surviving infertility and miscarriage. And so the first person I want to bring on um, is 
is Cynthia Strong. This woman has endured some things and endured by herself for the most part. Uh, uh, Ms. Strong, are you there? I am here. Awesome. Can you greet our listening audience? Pardon me? Can you greet our listening audience? Hello, everybody in Radio Land and Kingdom Authority. I am so glad to be here. Um, Thank you, Reverend Danzia, for the invitation. I am humbled and uh, praying and hoping that someone um, will be blessed. For joining us. All right. So we also have Elder Janet Boone that's with us on this evening as well. Elder Boone, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I hope everyone out there is doing good. I'm excited for this topic. We are, too. We are, too. You know, let me just get right into that. I want you guys to tell briefly a little bit about your journey um, with with infertility and miscarriage. I know there's several things I want to ask you all, but I really want to start off with you all giving a brief summary of your struggle with this. And so I'm going to have, um, Janet, would you start off, and then we'll have um, um, Cynthia start off as afterwards. Yes, definitely. So um, hello, everyone. Again, um, so my name is Janet Boone. Um, I am an elder, so that's why she calls me Elder Boone. But so my story uh, really starts with, uh, let me say that I fit in that statistic that she was saying. I just turned 35 two days ago. So when all this happened, I was under 35. So my first, um, my first, I guess, you know, the start of everything for me was I got married. Um, it'll be five years in April, and my husband had no children. I didn't have any children, and we, you know, we waited a little bit, and we started trying, and it's soon as we started trying, I got pregnant with my daughter, Genesis, who will be um, three years old. Or I'm sorry, she'll be four years old in July. So as soon as I had her, it was kind of like, okay, good. This this is a pretty easy process for me, you know. And then we wanted, we definitely always knew we wanted to have at least two. So um, after her, we started trying for another child. You know, we waited about nine months or so before we started trying again. And then that time it took me about six months to actually, like, get pregnant. Um, we were really, really excited. So we started telling our friends and our family, like, right away. I think I started telling people I was, like, literally five weeks pregnant. Um, but I just kind of – I had people say things like, oh, you should probably wait to tell people. And I remember the thought in my mind being, well, I'm good. Like, that's I'm not going to lose a baby. Like, that's not going to happen to me. So I'm fine. Um, so – Literally, I was driving to my 12-week checkup. My daughter was in the car, and on the way as I'm driving, I had this thought, which really later on in prayer I really realized was a vision that God gave me. But as I'm driving, I seen me sitting in the office and them saying, um, again, it's my 12-week checkup, so they're supposed to be letting me hear the heartbeat for the first time. So in this thought, I was like, okay, they're going to tell, what if they say, we can't hear the heartbeat. Uh, let's schedule you for an ultrasound. And then the ultrasound, they tell me, like, we're so sorry. So I literally had this whole vision, you know, maybe like two seconds. And my instant thought was, oh, my God, why would I think that? So I rebuked it and, you know, went on to my appointment, and I was telling myself, that's crazy. You have to think positive. Don't let the enemy get into your thoughts, all that stuff, you know. Mm. 
So um, walk into the appointment and literally blow by blow, that's exactly what happened. Um, between the moment when they told me they couldn't find the heartbeat and the sonogram appointment, I spoke with my bishop, I spoke with my best friend, and they were like, you know, don't worry about it. Um, you don't, they're like, don't think the worst, kind of. You know what I mean? Not don't worry, but uh, don't, don't think the worst. Let's stay positive. So get to that appointment. Um, my assistant pastor works for my OBGYN, and I asked her to come in with me just in case, you know, but I'm still trying to be positive. And sure enough, the lady said, I'm really sorry. I'm not seeing what I'm supposed to see, so I'm going to go get the doctor. And I lost wow. it. Wow. Um, so that was that. Then after that, uh, they scheduled a DNC, and they told me that I had a mole pregnancy. Because of the mole pregnancy, um, I'm just kind of giving you guys the highlights because, you know, of course, a very lengthy story. But they told me that because of the type of miscarriage that I had and because of the mole pregnancy that I was at risk for some type of cervical cancer. Uh, that cancer is usually detected by them seeing that my HCG levels are rising, you know, the levels that show that you are pregnant, but there would be no baby. So they told me that I could not get pregnant for a year because I had to be tested to make sure I wasn't getting that cancer. Um, then after... That process was over, and we finally started trying again. It took a long time again. Um, I think it was about five months or so. And then I got pregnant, found out right away. I think, again, I was like literally the doctor said I was probably like five days pregnant. So I find out. I go get my blood work. They're concerned, you know, making sure that it's not the cancer, that there actually is a baby and everything's rising accordingly. And just as soon as they said, you know, congratulations, you are pregnant, we're going to monitor everything, literally like two days later, they called me and told me that the levels were back down, meaning that I had lost the baby. But for me, it wasn't considered a technical miscarriage because since I was so early, you're actually, there's actually no heartbeat yet. Um, the fetus hasn't formed to that point, so they consider it a chemical pregnancy. And that brings us to now because that was like five months ago and we're still trying and I'm still not pregnant. So, And so we're going to talk about that some um, in just a little bit. I want to thank you so much for sharing that, um, Janet. So I want to go to Cynthia now. Can you just talk briefly about your experience, um, initial experience with um, infertility or miscarriage? Okay. Mine was a little different. Um and I'd like to just remind everyone that um, every woman um, has um, a different experience. Um, when I had the mis miscarriage um, at the age of 28 years old, um, it didn't it didn't bother me um, at all. I I didn't feel um, anything, and that's just how I felt. I already had. Um, it might be because of my situation, because I was not married, and I already had one child. Um, a beautiful baby girl, and I was pretty much um, content with that. Um, but when I lost the child, um, he was the most beautiful thing that I had ever seen, just a beautiful baby, and um, took care of him and everything and did what I needed to do, um, said goodbye, and that was the end of, you know, that was the end of that. And it didn't bother me until I turned 50 years old. Um, I began to cry a lot and just wanting 
I didn't have a son, and I was like, I wonder what he would have become, what he would have been like. And just that kind of bothered me between the ages of 50 and, and 55. Um, it, was, it was really rough because uh, the years before, um, it, it did not um, bother me at all. And it might have been because of my situation um, was different. I was not married. I was a single mother, and I had already had um, a child. But then I began to watch um, other relatives that were married and wanting um, children and unable um, to have them. Um, It was horrible, the uh, experience that they were going through. And I watched this, and I was just like, wow. Um, They really wanted um, children. And, um, but anyway, um, that's my story. Um, uh, that's my experience that I had with, yeah, that's my story. Thank you. It's really interesting. I just have to comment on one thing because you, you made a point to say that at the time, because of your situation or whatever the case was, and you had a beautiful baby girl and yes, she still was beautiful. So, (laughs) I mean, beautiful yes. baby, y'all. So, beautiful um, baby. So when you talk about that, you said it didn't bother you 50. I do want to talk about that just for a few moments because why do you think, you know, at that time in your life, that's when it began to, to impact you the way it did? I, it, like I said, it might have been, you know, because I was pretty much content um, with my daughter, and I, you know, I already had one child, and I was not married, so um, I didn't want to have um, any more children and not have um, a husband. And so I was, you know, I was pretty much okay. It didn't really bother me, but like I said, when I turned 50 years old, uh, between the ages of 50 and 55, um, wow. I was really going through um, uh, the crying and and wanting him, wanting this little child that I had seen, you know, back when I was 28. And it was a boy. And like I said, I I don't I don't have a son. I have a daughter. I had a daughter. And so, you know, I'm just thinking maybe, you know, the fact that it was a boy and I don't have a son and. Um, just thinking, you know, what he might have been, um, would he have been tall or what he would have looked like. It just really, really um, began to bother me, just really bother yeah. me. Yeah. And let me just clarify, you had um, stillbirth, is that correct? He was, um, wow, I think I was like, maybe four or five months between, I'll put between, between four and six months. Um, okay. Wow. And, so that's, that's still birth at that point. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. He was already formed. Um, he even had um, a head full of hair. He had the most beautiful hair. Um, I, I, it was a bit better than my daughter's hair, <laughs> but Beautiful, just yeah, yeah. I think between yeah. six and yeah, 
between six and four months. Yeah, people can't uh-huh. people can't imagine what that's like until you experience that. You know, um, I experienced that with a friend who may be listening on tonight, and just to watch mm-hmm. that baby and see the 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 formation of that child, and yeah. that hair gets you. The hair, the little fingers, you know, gets you. And yeah. I know that seems a bit um, gruesome to some people, but having those final moments with that baby is really important for a lot of mothers. Um, yeah, and so I want to say this, first of all, a lot of, not everyone can handle that, not every especially male that I've, that I've talked with can handle that, mm-hmm. but that, and that's okay. That's okay. Everyone deals with it differently. But for that mother, having carried that, that baby, having carried that baby and be able to see the formation of what you've carried um, and it not move and he not move or she not move, Laying mm-hmm. that final goodbye and holding your baby is so important. So I, I kind of want to bring that out to everyone. Um, I, let's let's kind of move on um, a little bit. So okay. we know Can I just say this? Go ahead. Sure. Before sure. you move on, um, I did experience this with my niece. Um, uh, she carried the baby for, for, uh, for nine months, and I experienced that with her. And I tell you, my dad was there and, and you know, part of this other family was there. And I was, like, looking at my dad, like, you know, why don't you lay hands on this child, you know, and, and, and bring this child back? Because, you know, I looked at my father as having that type of power, you know. And it was very important um, that, that my niece, you know, share those, those last moments um, they even left the child, you know, in the room overnight with her, and it was important for her to be uh, with with that child and, and those last moments before they take the child um, away. Um, it was devastating for her and for our family, and um, she she really went through something, really went, and, and being so young, she was in her, her early 20s. So I just wanted to share that. Wow. Yeah, I... I, I you know, for men and women, my heart goes out. So my heart goes out. And so I want to shift a little bit. So let's let's kind of talk about the, we did a little bit, but both of you have children now. Um, Both have girls. And so um, I know that, Cynthia, your child is an adult child, and and Janet's dealing with um, um, a a four-year-old now, raising a four-year-old, not dealing with, raising a four-year-old. So we have vast um, journeys right now. So I want to talk about a little bit about the emotions of learning, first of all, about infertility in your life and also the miscarriage a little bit. That first emotion. Um, so yeah. I, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, like, before I say that, I think that, you covered it in, you know, different things that you told us we're going to talk about, but I think it's important to realize that everybody, there's so many moving parts in this, this one person is going to have the same story as someone else. Like every, there's, everything is different, you know, for everybody. Even if it looks like the same exact story, people are going to have different emotions because of 
their background, how they were raised, how, like, what they were feeling in that moment, have they always wanted kids, like, all that's going to play in. So um, my first emotion for me was um, I was heartbroken. Um, one one thing, let me say, like, like I was saying, everybody's different. was something that I hadn't, I don't know if I, I'm sure I've talked with Dancy about it because we've been close for years, but um, because of some of my uh, fast ways back when I was younger, before I really, really came to Christ, um, I had been told that I may not be able to have any kids because of some bad choices that I had made back then. So that was always kind of in the forefront of my mind. I talked to my husband before we even got married. Like, it was really starting to be a concern, but I was like, you know, I just got to trust God. Um, And so then when I had my daughter, that kind of went away, but then to have the miscarriage again, uh, or have a miscarriage, still try to kind of tell myself like, wait, but God can, God can do this. That's just one thing. And so now to be here with, you know, I expected my kids to be like two years apart and now my daughter about to turn four and I still don't have another child and I'm still struggling to have, you know, to get pregnant again and have a child. Um, old emotion kind of still plays in some and I have to constantly remind myself to trust God. Um, one thing that I told Dancia was that I uh, was optimistic in the beginning. Like I said, it was, okay, God, I can, you're going to, to do this. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, this is a terrible situation, but, you know, they told me something was off with the chromosomes with the baby that I had the DNC for. And so it's like, okay, well, maybe God was, you know, he knows what he's doing and I can get through this. So I was optimistic. Um the more time goes on and the more time passes now, I feel less and less optimistic that I'm going to have another child. But I think that it's important to say that I feel that my faith in God and my optimism for having another child is not the same. I feel like a lot of times in church, um, you know, when we doubt that something is going to happen, it's like, oh, well, you're doubting God. And I don't feel that I'm doubting God. It's just that I'm really trying to be realistic and say that that just may not be his will for me. Uh, what if he wants me to adopt a child or right. foster a child? What if he wants Genesis to be an only child for something for her life? Like, I don't know those things. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important for us to be able to say, especially in the church community, that, yes, I'm hurting. Yes, I'm frustrated. No, I don't feel optimistic. Maybe today I'm completely pessimistic, and tomorrow I'll be completely optimistic. Like, it's just my healing process. And I think that in the church that's kind of hard because people take it as I'm not trusting God, and I don't think that that's necessarily the case. True. Cynthia, what were your first emotions? Um, My first emotions were, um, I even, uh, that little verse, I said, um, the Lord God giveth, and the Lord God taketh away. And I said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, Kissed his beautiful hair, and that that was it. And just felt, um, just felt calm because when, and I try, even now I try to, if I can just keep this thought, on, on everything throughout my journey about my life. God makes no mistakes. That's that right. Is, that is how I live by. I always, whenever things happen or, you know, that is what I say, you know, 
God makes no mistakes, but it was just, uh, I'm not sure if I have a word for what I felt, but that's, that's what I did. You know, that's, I said that, you know, the God, Lord God give it and the Lord God take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord and kiss the top of his beautiful black hair. And, and that was it. Um, Well, let me tell you something. Um, my journey is completely different from y'all because, uh, I mean, I talk more about it in the book, but um, we won't release all of that. But I will tell you, I didn't even know I was pregnant because um, I guess I was more like my mother. She, you know, carried my sister for almost six months and still continued to have her menstrual cycle. <laughs> so I was kind of like the same thing, you know. Um, and mm-hmm. then I, I don't think I was very far along. Um, and I ended up, you know, having miscarrying at the house. Um, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew I had that, mm-hmm. you know, menstrual cycle pain and so forth. So I just thought it was that until I saw something, in, you know, in the, in the, um, oh, wow. I hate saying this, in the toilet. That's what really happened for me. And so I was like, what am I going to do with this? What is this? What just came out of my body? And I was tripping, you know, oh, wow. over exaggerated. Yeah. And so once I wow. went to the doctor, yeah, so once I went to the doctor, I, you know, I ended up um, finding out, and they did the DNC and all that so forth, you know, and then um, also it was from fibroid tumors, you know, the reason mm-hmm. for my uh, miscarriage and um, inability to um, reproduce. Let me say it that way. I can just barely now say that in the last year, inability to reproduce. I haven't been able to say that for years. Um, so let me just ask, you guys always wanted children, yes or no? Yes. Yes, I always did. Um, ever since I was a little girl, like, I always, you know, would play house, and it was like I was pretending that I had, like, two or three kids. In my early 20s, I used to say that I wanted, like, five kids because um, I grew up as an only child for 12 years, and I have three siblings that are, you know, 12, 13, and 15 years younger than me now. But, yes, I always wanted um, to have a bunch of kids so that we could have this huge family and um, definitely wanted more than one because I did not want her to be an only child, uh, her or him at the time, because I didn't know, you know, I hadn't met her yet. Um, but definitely I still don't want her to be an only child. Yeah. And what what about you, Cynthia? You always wanted to have children or not? Uh I didn't feel one way or the other. If I um, had them, I had them. If I didn't, I didn't. I, you know, I wasn't one of those that uh, wanted to be like my grandmother and have 14, 14 children. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but when my little, but when my little girl, um, when uh, Miss, we call her Miss Scarlet, came along. Um, she was the joy of my whole entire family. And when I say my whole entire family, I'm talking about my whole, like, you know, my aunts, my uncles, um, my cousins, um, my mom, my dad, everybody had her spoiled. And she was the first Mm -hmm. grandchild um, in our family. Um, The whole entire family had her spoiled. Yeah. She was was beautiful. Adorable. Yeah. Adorable. Yeah. Uh, um, so let me ask you all this. I'm, I'm going to shift a little bit. So, so I'm going to be kind of a little messy, but I want people to understand 
what we go through and what people go through during times of, you know, the reality of either not being able able to um, have a child or not to be able to conceive again or not be able to um, carry um, full term. So some thoughts when people or they may still say to you, um, you don't have any kids yet. I mean, Janet, you went through that. I did. So um, by profession, I'm a hairstylist, and I say that because I feel like that kind of made it almost a little worse um, because I'm dealing with a lot of women. And then instead of kind of having the office job where, um, or like a call center where you're not dealing with people who know you every day or an office job where I can just kind of talk to one or two people, like I literally see 15, 16, 20 people a day. And everybody wants to know, you know, so once I got married, it was like, well, you're going to have kids. And so you said, there's always a slew of questions. Um, I didn't really have to deal before, um, before I, I had her, I didn't have a lot of the, uh, why don't you have any kids yet kind of thing, because I was young, I was in my twenties and I wasn't married and I was in church. So people didn't really expect me. People were hoping I wasn't just, you know, um, going to pop up pregnant. And so, um, but once I got married, we tried right away. And like I said, boom, I was pregnant. Um, but I do think that like now people ask me a lot, uh, you know, are you guys going to try again? Are you trying again? Do you guys not want any more kids? And those questions get hard because people don't really understand like the behind the scenes of what's going on. And it's kind of, um, it's hard because, people mean it from a genuine place. They're, they're trying to make conversation and they just, they really want the best for you and they mean it from a loving place, but it's still hard to feel those emotions because every time somebody says it, it's like a dagger. Like, yeah, remember you still can't get pregnant. And sometimes it's even, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Like like I can, I mean, you're raw, so I can, I'm sure that I can say it. Um, Every time I start my cycle, I'm frustrated. Yeah. So for like the first couple of days, I'm super irritated. And if anybody asks me that inside, it's like, please don't bring this up. I don't want to have to deal with this. I'm trying to have fun. I'm trying to be at work. I'm trying to be lighthearted and, you know, all of that. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's just hard. But you will talk about it later, I know. Um, but sometimes it's like that people ask that question because it defines us still to this day from biblical times to now. Having children defines a woman to a lot of people. So let's talk about that. And, Cynthia, I definitely want you to chime in on that. Why is it, you know, because from your perspective and the time you grew up in and I grew up in, Janice is a little bit younger than both of us, what, what is it that makes people feel like they have to ask that question in the first place? Yeah. I keep forgetting that everyone isn't like me, but um, – those questions are personal. I'm so glad that I know exactly. that because I don't ask people that because, you know, that's, that's personal. And especially if you don't know the person very, very well, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, but I've seen this a lot in the church when we have a couple that gets, a young couple that gets married and, and then, you know, and then six or seven months go by and everybody's like, well, are you going to have any children or are you pregnant yet? Um, you know, they, and so to me, those, 
those questions are, are personal. And if you knew that, I don't think that you would ask that. Um, yeah, and you but, know, I've been guilty myself that's just of asking that. tradition, you know, in the church, you know, somebody gets married yeah. and those are the questions that that's asked, you know, where's the baby? When are you going to have the baby? You know, I don't know. I think something that she said that was really like a key thing is, Cynthia, you said that it's personal. And I think that there's a lot of times in life that people feel closer, like people feel like they're close enough to ask us that stuff. Yeah. So I don't, you yeah, know, that's again, what I, I was, I know that's what I was that saying, unless, yeah, unless they really, really right. know you or someone that you've grown up with. But I, if I can think back, um, I just don't ever remember, you know, doing that um, because I may have. But those, you know, to me it's just, it's personal, you know. And then I come from a different, a different era. I'm like old, totally old school. <laughs> um, my daughter is 35 years old. <laughs> and she has two children of her own, four and nine, so. Ooh, wow! I'm, I'm, wow! I'm up there. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think it was, you know, when I saw it in the church growing up, it was they, they either were very, very close to you, or it just seemed like that's something that to ask, you know. That's pretty much what people in the church did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whenever people got me married, that's you know, girl, you ain't pregnant yet. You know what's up with that's that? That's exactly you know? how it sounds. That's yeah, exactly we're, we're 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 you know, it's time to have a baby, yeah. you know. And yeah. my thing was, you know, because I had one one of my cousins come to me, and, and I told her, I said, if you do, you know, don't have them unless you want them, unless both of you want them. And she mm. did not want children. He wanted them, but she did not. And so she's oh, the wow. same age as I am, and she does not, and today, to this day, she does not have children. She did not want to. Wow. Them. Yeah. So and, let, you know, let, let, me just, let me just ask you this, and Cynthia, I want you to say first, what, you, you know, going through this, how does the family fit into this whole journey for, for, let's talk about for you first of all. How does your family fit into this journey? Um. I was like, um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I I was really, really um, surprised, you know, with my mom and dad. They were so supportive, and they were right there. My mom was right there. And my dad asked me, was I going to have the child? And I said, oh, of course. You know, I'm going, I'm going to have it. And he was, he, you know, by him being, you know, a pastor of a church and um, he was really, really in support of it. And then I had uncles I belonged to, um, his brother's church. Um, he was so supportive and um, everybody was just great. There was just, uh, it took me a long time to get over this and still now, even at you know, 57 years old, whenever I, you know, remember this, I just get so, um, so upset. But there was just one comment that was made. And, and, you know, like I said, my daughter's 35 years old, and I still 
when I think about it, I still get upset. And one person looked at me and said, um, oh, the bear finally got you. And I thought, what an awful thing to say to any individual. What an awful thing to say. And like I said, and that's, you know, my my daughter's 35 years old. And it's still that little comment right there still bothers me today. The bear finally got you. And that's what someone in the church said to me. And wow. Yeah, those are some of the things. But other than that, my family, they were great. My family were, they were beautiful. I, you know, just spoiled her a little bit too much, but they were beautiful. <laughs> I just had that one, yeah. that one bad experience, you know. But everything else, um, you know, went smoothly. I, you know, I had her, and and it was, it was, I was good. Praise God for I that. Was good. Yeah. Um. So they were. Yeah, uh, they were. Me, you know, cause. for me, um, I'll say. Uh, my dad's not really in the picture. He, my biological father is not in the picture. Um, my mom, uh, my mom is like my hero. That's my best friend. She's my ride or die, my biggest cheerleader. Like she's at everything. She's always there. Um, and my mom had, um, not that I'm here to tell her story, but she had several miscarriages herself. And her story gets a little more complicated where they told her she couldn't have any more. Clearly they were wrong because they said that after me and I have three younger siblings. But um, I just say that to say that she was a big help for me in this. Um, My mom's kind of quiet. She doesn't, she's not necessarily a person that has like a lot of words. Um, She kind of, I think, underestimates her own power as far as like how much she can help. But, um, I read an article one time that said that literally it's like a proven scientific fact, but we all know that God's science is just them studying what God already created. But right. that um, the sound of a mother's voice, no matter how old the child is, no matter like I'm 35, it does not matter how old we are, but the sound of our mother's voice can, it releases something in our body. I don't remember the chemical, but it releases something that calms us. It reduces stress and anxiety and so I sometimes I just need my mom to be there. Even now, like when I have hard days, I'll just call her. I talk to my mom pretty much every day, but there's days where I'll say, can you just come over? And uh, so she was a huge, huge help for me just being there, like just sitting in the room. The day that I miscarried, I still remember my mom came to the house, and she came and stood by the bed and said, what do you want me to do? And I said, can you just hug me? Like I just wanted her to be there, and she's always there. Um, as far as the rest of my family, my siblings, like I said, they're much younger than me, So, and two of them are boys, so they're kind of, like, completely clueless, like, no idea how to help my sister. But just knowing that they loved me and they were there was, a, you know, was enough. Yeah. Um, same with my best friend um, and even Dancia. Like, I have people that God gave me as yeah. family, and so people have been supportive. But it's just really knowing that they're there to support you and to love you. So, and my husband. He's a very quiet guy. Like, I I think he could probably go all day without talking if I didn't ask him questions and make him talk. So um, he didn't say much, but it was like, what do you need me to do? And he would, I knew he was praying. Um, 
I knew he was in his word. I knew just by things he would say, and he just has this way of calming the room. And so he was right there, and he's been very um, – I'm kind of going into your other question. I'm no, sorry. No, keep going. Okay, but he's he's very he's been very helpful as far as, you know, I know that he wants another child, but he always he'll say like after we had the, you know, the chemical pregnancy, um which let me say it doesn't feel any different to have a chemical pregnancy. For me, it doesn't right. feel any different than my first miscarriage. Um but he said, "Well, don't worry, babe. We can try again." And after a couple minutes, he came to me and he said, I want to apologize. And I said, for what? And he said, because I said we can try again, and I didn't even ask you if you wanted to. Mm. I didn't ask how you felt. I didn't ask if you were okay with trying again. If you, you know, He said, and I'm not going through what you go through. I don't feel it the way that you feel it. And that just means a lot to me. He still says it when we talk about stuff, but it just means so much to me to know that he's sensitive to the fact that it's my body and I feel a, a different connection to, you know, a child instantly. It's yeah. not, you know, it's as it's soon as you find out you're pregnant, you feel connected. Right. Mm-hmm. So him knowing that and him being sensitive to that um, really helps me. And I think that's part of, you know, just the, the biblical concept that my husband is my covering. That's so awesome. he covers me and prays for me and, and that helps. Let me just say this. Let's, um, I was reading an article on think wellness being or something like that, um, and it talked about men that go through, they have similar grieving processes, but they are, they are trying to be that covering that they emotionally, they become emotionally sick. Let me say it that way. They become emotionally sick. So I want to say this to everyone out there that's listening. We cannot displace the fact that men grieve as well. They just, it just may look a little different, but the, on the inside, especially those, my husband's very quiet. Um, well, with everybody else, he's not quiet with me. But, um, <laughs> but it's so important to know that they are grieving, they're going through um, the same thing. With, with me, he is, my husband feels a certain way because of my struggle with infertility. You know, I have five stepchildren, so, and two of which been, or three actually have been in my household. So when I think about that, um, you know, how he feels towards me, there's a grieving process that he goes through, and he sometimes can't talk about it. Finally, he's opened up and said some things. So, you know, and with my experiences, and then with us being together now, we cannot forget, although they are, 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 are there to help support us and they're not going through the same way, we have to be there, and I'm saying this to women out there, we have to be there and be sensitive to their needs as well because they are grieving. And I think that helps to strengthen the bond of getting over and surviving um, um, these conditions infertility and miscarriage. I'm going to say that. I want to throw this out there real briefly before we go back because really talking with you guys is helping strengthen me. Say that again. I did hear. I said really talking about this with you all is really helping to strengthen me because I'm still left without a child, you know. I don't have anyone's eyes to look into, and I, I talk about this 
pretty frequently with my mother, you know. I'm like, why Why mm-hmm. do I have to have a menstrual cycle and I'm not reproducing no kids? What's going on with my organs that they're not working? What's wrong? I've talked to my uterus. Get it together. You know, I say these things. Yeah. and But it may not be for me. So let me just say this. Um, according to the CDC, the Center um, for Disease, I can't say it all right now, many couples struggle with infertility and they seek help to become pregnant, but it's often thought of as only a woman's condition. So I, I want to go here because we're going to talk about some things about the struggle and the steps or treatment towards, um, you know, overcoming this. So we're shifting because it's not just a woman's condition. Mm-hmm. However, in about 35% of couples with infertility, a male factor is identified along with the female factor. So it's yeah. not just the female needs to go be tested out. A lot of people, and I see this, hear this in church all all my adult life, well, what's wrong with you? I remember a preacher came to me and said, what's wrong with me? I'm like, <laughs> why got to be me, you know? <laughs> why does that have to be me? Say, say the five people of the Holy Ghost and ask me what's wrong with me. It's not just some female thing. It's, it's both parties sometimes. And about 8% of couples with infertility, a male factor is the only identifiable cause. Low, but you know, nine percent of men aged twenty-five to forty-four years in the United States reported that they or their partner saw a doctor for advice. So men are going; they're struggling with this. Yeah. So I want to talk about some things before we get to steps and treatment, or actually, as we go into steps and treatment. Um, what do you wish, first of all, others knew about those who struggle with infertility? Let's start with you, Janet. Um, so let me say, like, my my answer to that really ties into what you just said, that I wish people knew that it's really not just the woman. Yeah. Um, I feel that this is not a new issue. No, uh, it's not. Sarah dealt with, in, uh, you know, infertility. Um, Hannah had infertility. Like, this isn't anything new. But, again, the, it's so amazing to me that, like, as, we've developed as a society and we've developed as people and we've evolved that the mindset really is still yeah. the same as it was in the Old Testament. Yeah. Like thousands of years ago and we still have the same mindset because yeah. there one thing that when I studied, um, we don't really know a whole lot about Sarah. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of like history about her personal stuff. It says she was barren. That's it. That's it. So that really defined who she was. So I wish people knew that my, you know, my identity isn't tied to the fact that I can have another child or, in some people's cases, have a child. Um, and it kind of ties into what you were saying, Dancia, too. Like, you don't have any children. Like we were saying earlier, everybody's a little different. And I have a friend, um, I'm pretty sure she's listening. I'm not going to say her name because, you know, that's personal. Yeah. But um, she's been struggling for a lot longer than I have. And her story is completely different because she doesn't have a child at all. And um, I was kind of, I was one of those people who I think almost hurt her one time and I put more stress on her trying to just be a friend. Um, I, like I didn't mean to not be a good friend, but I was reaching out to her 
about my issues, thinking, okay, well, we're going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And she's a very transparent, raw person. And she said, friend, we're not going through the same thing. Right. You have a child, and I don't. And mm-hmm. that really put things in perspective for me. That's right. So I think the biggest, a, the, a huge, huge thing that I would love for people to take away from this, um, that I wish people knew about this struggle, is that even if you've had it, like we said, everyone is different. If you're in the struggle, someone else's story is still different. So be sensitive. Mm-hmm. Be careful how you ask questions. Be careful what advice you offer. Um, be careful saying, like, hey, well, you know, if you can't get pregnant, I'll be a surrogate for you. Mm-hmm. What? what? Like, that, that could come across a totally wrong way. It, it, it does. Don't, <laughs> don't ask a woman, you know, um, well, hey, have you thought about adoption? So when you ask that, it's like, oh, I'm trying to be nice and, you know, I'm just having this conversation trying to give my friend options. But to us, it's like, oh, so you're giving up on me? So I'm completely hopeless right. to the point that I have to just go ahead and say, you know what, I, uh, my body gave up. Right. They're giving up on me now, so I should just give up on me. Like, I wish people would learn, um, just be sensitive to that, you know. Be careful how you ask things. Again, it's not that you're trying not to be uh not that we think you're trying to be harsh and not be a kind person or be a friend or that you're definitely not that you're trying to hurt us, but it still can be a hurtful thing. So just be very sensitive how you ask things, when you ask things, on, and all of that. Yeah. Um, Cynthia, you want to say something about that? I, I can mimic um, Reverend Boone. Um, I agree. Um, I think people should be more um, sensitive. Um, Everyone's um, experience is not the same. Um, like she was speaking of her friend, um, we're not going through the same thing because you have a child and I don't. And um, people just need to remember that every woman and every couple's experience is different. And we That's just right. need to be more sensitive um, um, because a lot of, you know, they're, they, they are trying um, to be nice. And, and sometimes we can, you know, they didn't mean any harm. They're trying to be nice. But you don't get that attitude really until you get my <laughs> but Right, right. Right. It, it takes a while, you know, because I can look at it and see that she's, she doesn't mean any harm. She's, you know, she's trying to be nice. Then there are some who, who, who are not um, trying to be nice and, and can be quite hurtful. So um, I'm just asking everyone to remember um, that every woman's experience and or couple's experience, it's not the same. Um, right. You have women uh, who have been, wanting a child for 20 years or 11 years and they are still um are not pregnant but uh-huh. and that's where prayer comes in you know if you that's good. yeah that's where you know any woman wanting to have a child um as, as importantly they should seek to love and obey God above all else um, that's what I have to say. Well, I I, ha- I do have a little bit to say, and I'm trying not to say too much because it really is in the book. Um, <laughs> so I, I, 
so I'm gonna be a little raw here. I'm just gonna just gonna put it out there for people. You know what I get frustrated the most about is there was a time, you know, growing up, I was very tomboyish and up until maybe my almost late twenties. It was crazy and I didn't really want children. I liked children. They were okay. Hey, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really want children until mm-hmm. something clicked in me in my late mid to late thirties. And that's when I said, oh, okay, um, I think I'm somewhat responsible enough to have a child another life. You know, that, that, was, mm-hmm. my, that was my journey. So I'm not going to tell too much mm-hmm. about that. But I get very frustrated, and my mother has to con- get me off the walls on this one with women that have children and don't take care of their kids oh, yeah. or mistreat their mm-hmm. children. I'm going to tell y'all right now, that is a big deal for me, for someone that yeah. struggles um, and that, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately decided, wanted to have children and could not, and then having gone through that um, miscarriage and, you know, having to go into the process of the DNC, you, when you see that, when you see that mistreatment, God, not as much as I used to, but I often ask God, how do you let this happen? Yep. I say the same thing. I get it. And wow. so I just want to be clear with people, you know, because, I, and I'm going to be, be very honest, there are some days, you know, people call me up to sing, and I have just cried because I've experienced someone asking me for money to take care of their child when they were just out doing what they shouldn't have been doing. Let me just put it that way. And um, I knew they neglected their child the night before, and I got to get up and sing and minister to you. Mm-hmm. I want you to understand that's a hurtful thing to do, but it's not. But you're right, um, Cynthia. As as I get older, I realize, you know, what my ministry first of all is not for me; it's for others. That's number one. So I have to separate the two. But I struggle with that when I've seen. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I I hear you. I have a rule at my house. Um, you cannot, if you have children, and because I I'm an advocate for children. I like I said, it didn't matter to me one way or another if I had a bunch, you know, or if I didn't. But I am an advocate for children because they are innocent, and when you do things to them, they cannot defend themselves or. Or you know what I'm saying? They they need to be taken care of, and you need to be responsible. Um, I never, you know, I don't. Like I said, I I don't go against what those who do believe in spanking. I did not spank my child, and that in and but they are but there are uh, you know there are parents who do, and and I don't have a right. problem with that, you know, because that's that's what you want to do. And you have that right to do that. But in my house, if you bring your child over or whatever, you can't spank your child in my house. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. No, you cannot spank your child in my house, no. Yeah. Um, and everybody who knows that. me knows that about me. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> everybody that knows me you knows. Um, I just believe in that you can – I always say spanking as a last resort. 
Um, I do believe that if you get in a child's world and get in their face and speak to them, they can hear you. They do understand. I mean, they've been understanding you when they were in your womb. Um, My little great nephew, Joubert, I could get him to do anything inside of his his mother's womb. When I told him, move, Joubert, move over to the left, that's what he did. He didn't listen to anybody but me. So if you can get an unborn wow. child to do it, you certainly can get a child that's already here. Um, wow. Speak to them. You know? Yeah, that's powerful. I, my little niece, yeah. I, I get in her face and I speak to her, you know? But that's, that's, that's me. You know, that's yeah. me. But, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty powerful right there. So um, there's some, I mean, there's different things that we'll we can talk about regarding this. Um, let me just let me ask this question. There are many different things that increases the risk of infertility, and a lot of children, kids, since they're not thinking about you know having children, they're just thinking about having fun. I know I was one of those. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that causes us to go into the whole traveling down the journey of infertility, traveling down the journey of infertility, like smoking, you know, excessive alcohol use, um, mm-hmm. overweight, mm-hmm. obesity, you know, all these different things. And marijuana is big mm-hmm. now, but what kids don't understand is that you just may travel down the road of infertility as a result of that. Um, even exposure to radiation, you know, children that have to go through different treatments as as children, they're exposed to the the, the possibility right. of ever being able to have a child, even if they're okay after they grow mm-hmm. grow older. You know, I don't know if boys know that if your um, your frequent exposure of the testes to the high temperatures, such as getting in a hot tub, you know, getting in a hot yeah. tub, frequent sauna, those athletes that, you know, sit in, you know, in different areas, even if you're wheelchair bound, you know, there's all kinds of different things, certain medications, pesticides even. We get pesticides everywhere. You know, causes infertility. STDs cause infertility. Now, I was getting ready to say the biggest one is STDs. That is that Absolutely. is the biggest one. Absolutely. Yeah, and you got to go around one. all Absolutely. And so, you know, drug use. So there's so many different things. So with that, there's so many things that keep us from, you know, reproducing. What were some of the steps or treatment or healing you experienced to accept or overcome this condition? And I'll start with you, Janet, first on that one. Um, so let me back up and just I'm going to be real, real transparent because I told you I'm an open book. So one of the things that you mentioned um, that causes infertility is, um, you know, STDs. That's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people aren't willing to say that. Well, I was fast and I was young, um, and um, somebody that I was dealing with, um, actually someone that I was really in love with, uh, I didn't. I kind of knew he was dipping out, but I didn't know. Right. Like I didn't want to know. Let me say that. So I ignored all the signs. Um, but he gave me chlamydia. Mm-hmm. Everyone doesn't have symptoms. So I had no symptoms, nothing, not one. I literally went to the doctor. Um, I didn't go to my regular doctor. I went to a clinic with a friend because she had a situation, and she was like, can you come with me, like, support? So I said, okay, I'll go. 
turns out I had had it for like almost a year. Wow. He was the only person I had been with, so I knew where it came from, but I had Mm -hmm. no symptoms and said he didn't, but of course he denied it and said that he didn't have it. Um, which I knew that wasn't true because I said he was the only person I had been with and I had already been tested prior to. Let me help y'all right now. Stop lying. Yep, stop lying. (laughs) Stop stop sharing genitals. Let me say that. Um, That's the nice way to (laughs) Take authority in the name of Jesus. Stop lying. Okay, go ahead. But um, so that that I had, that gave me scarring. Um, I think it's in my uterine lining. Like, I'm not a doctor and I can't even tell you that I remember, but First doctor said I couldn't have any kids, period. Second doctor, years later, said, uh, you probably can. It's just going to be a little hard. Mm-hmm. My current OBGYN, who I absolutely love. Um, yes, we do. Yes. Okay. I, everybody goes yes, there. Yes, I have a good one, too. Yeah, so when I went to her, I shared that with her, and she said, you do have some scarring, but I don't see it being a problem. I took that as God healed it because they told me it was so bad I wasn't going to have, like, it was just not possible for me to have them. So I really took it as like, okay, God healed me, you know. Um, but again, then you know, I told you guys already what happened after that. Then I had my daughter, so it was like, yes, I'm healed, everything's great, and now it's kind of a struggle. But I can say that I don't feel it's connected to that. Um, it's mm-hmm. just frustrating to have those emotions come back in. Yeah. But I wanted to say that to say that if you think that you know, oh, you love him and it's going to be okay, like that can haunt you for years. That's right. This happened when I was 17 years old. So, oh, bless you know, your sweetheart. Wow. So, um, but as far as now, my steps to healing, uh, I again, I think that it's going to be different for every person. Um, as I was listening to Miss Cynthia talk, you know, like I was almost in tears over here listening to you talk.